0: Now, for those of you who have been here for uh, the last six or seven weeks when we've been looking at the story of Jonah, a moment of confession for us. Um, you don't have to actually tell me out loud, but how many of you thought that we were done with the story of Jonah? So, so far, we've thought about the story. We've known, And those of you who haven't been here, we know the story of Jonah, don't we? Because God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and Jonah decides not to go to Nineveh and he gets on a boat And then there's a storm, and then he's thrown in the sea, and then there's the whole big fish thing. Uh, And then he arrives in Nineveh, uh, and then he shares with the people of Nineveh the good news of God, and then they repent and believe. That's what we thought about last week. That's the end of the story, right? It's a great end uh, to the film. Uh, If we were going to make a film, if we had Idris Elba perhaps starring as uh, Jonah, he could arrive in Nineveh in a blaze of glory and people would uh, turn to Christ in a moment and uh, or turn to God in a moment and uh, and God would relent. End of film, credits roll, everything else. We could easily be forgiven for thinking that is the end of this book. But God isn't finished with uh, Jonah yet. He has at least two more important lessons to teach him. And so in turn, there's two more things for us to learn from this glorious uh, book that we've been looking at. Uh, And this week's lesson is actually just the first four verses of chapter four. Now remember where we thought we were just ending, where we finished up last week. Jonah has seen thousands of people converted to God and God has forgiven them. They've been reconciled to God. Jonah's preaching quite literally, has converted a whole city to God, to his ways. I mean, I'd be pretty pleased uh, with that. At this morning's service, we talked about bearing fruit, uh, and uh, in those sorts of terms, this is good fruit Jonah has borne. It is a good thing. So how does Jonah respond? Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. But to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to live, to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? He's angry. He's just seen a whole city converted. He's seen huge fruit from what God has told him to do. And yet he's angry. Why? Well, verses 2 and 3 give us a little bit of an insight into what has been going on in Jonah's head throughout the whole of this story. And we only get a really brief summary of it. Uh, But uh, we can imagine, perhaps, what the monologue with the Lord has been. I knew you would do something like this, God. These people, these people are evil. They've only changed because they're scared. They didn't convert and start worshipping you immediately. They immediately promised to start changing. And yet you're being merciful? Don't get me wrong, God. It's great that you've got, you're have got full of mercy and all of that lot. But this time, you've gone too far. Maybe he thought something like that. Jonah can't see how the Lord, who has promised to preserve Israel and accomplish his purposes in the world throughout Israel, that same God can show mercy to his enemies. How can it be that the God of justice allows the violence and the evil of Nineveh to go unpunished? For Jonah, the mercy and the love of God, which he has for Israel, cannot be extended to the Gentiles, particularly not to these evil Gentiles, in Jonah's words. In his words, his thoughts, they've made their bed. They need to lie in it. And here, Jonah is echoing perfectly the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. Remember, that was the whole reason we've called this series The Prodigal Prophet. Remember, at the end of that story, the older son gets angry and refuses to go to the party put on for the younger son. And I said right at the beginning that the older son can see no good reason why the younger son should be let back into the household and be celebrated. And he so therefore concludes that there can be no good reason. He can't see a good reason, so therefore concludes that there can be no good reason. Jonah can see no good reason for God to do what he's done here. And so he resolves that there possibly cannot be, there cannot possibly be a good reason. Jonah doubts the goodness, the wisdom, the justice of God, and this makes him angry. He's essentially saying, you've done this, I don't like it, and I don't want to live anymore. For Jonah, whilst Nineveh's repentance was pleasing to God, it was threatening to Israel, and it was therefore against Jonah's national interests. The will of God and the political fortunes of Israel seem to be going in different directions. And Jonah thinks that he has to pick a path. And I think it's pretty clear, therefore, from these first few verses, the path which Jonah has picked. He's showing that he's willing to disregard his relationship with God if he doesn't get the things that he wants. And there is a strong warning for us. In this as well. If we say, I won't serve God unless you give me X, then X becomes the thing that we actually really want, the true desire of our heart. Many of us, this may well be uh, money or our financial situation. It's why Jesus told us that, you can't, uh, that money is the root of all evil and that you can't serve both money and God, two masters. But for others, it may be something completely different. It may be a relationship. I can only serve God if he protects this relationship. Maybe it's exam results. Uh, maybe it's a job. Maybe even it's our health or all the things that we enjoy doing. And these things themselves are not bad in themselves. Indeed, Jonah's love for his country is not bad. He's patriotic. It's good to love your country. But if the love for your country leads you to exploit others... Leads you to war? How relevant is that at the moment? Or in Jonah's case, to hope that that other country will be spiritually lost. Then the love, you, you love your nation more than you love God. If your relationship with God is dependent on the relationships you have with other people, is dependent on your financial statement, his status, is dependent on your role, your position, is dependent on your exam results or even on your health, then we are in danger of repeating Jonah's sin here. A little while ago, I was given an illustration of this using the palm of our hands. And somebody said that you can take any, an illustration of anything uh, that you have in life, be it a relationship, be it our job, be it our finances, be it our car, be it the runtime that we do for a 5K, whatever it is, and place it in the middle of the palm of the hand. And what God is calling us to do is to hold the palm of that hand fully open, uh, where we're offering it to him and he can do whatever he wants with it. Many of us actually hold these things in a closed hand, in some sort of vain hope that actually God won't be able to touch it, that we've got control of it. Some of us actually hold these things in a kind of half-open hand, where we say, yeah, God, you can do what you like with that. It's okay, you can touch that if you want, that's fine. But the minute it becomes unstable, the minute that it becomes uh, uh, not uh, the, 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 some question over it, we clasp the hand closed and we take back control over it. This message of Jonah is reminding us that we need to not be people who allow anything, anything good or bad, to get in the way of our relationship with God. And that is the main lesson from these four verses. There is a brief supplementary lesson as well. In chapter 2, we get a bit of a foretaste that this meltdown of Jonah's in the beginning of chapter 4 was on its way. And Jonah's reason for fleeing was he thought that God was going to be merciful, and therefore he wasn't overly happy about it. And in the belly of the fish, if you remember, Jonah's hit by his own need for grace. Suddenly he's in this fish, not sure what's happening, and aware of his own sin and his need for God's grace. And we hear, read this wonderful prayer of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2, where he cries out uh, in praise of God and in acknowledgement of the need for grace. And yet, in verse 8, he says, Those that cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love from them, for them. Jonah has seen his own need for grace, but there's still quite a bit of pride left in him. Yes, Jonah needed mercy, but surely he didn't need mercy quite as much as all of those other people. Joseph's righteousness has been diminished, perhaps, but it hasn't been destroyed. He says in this prayer, in effect, uh, at the beginning says, of salvation comes only from the Lord, but at the very end, he's basically saying, but thank the Lord, I'm not as awful as those people um, over there. And that's why he's still susceptible to this spiritual crash that we see in Jonah chapter 4. For Jonah, as for us, understanding God's grace and being changed by it will always be a longer journey than perhaps we expect. It will be a journey of successive stages. At our nine o'clock service this morning, Colin, one of our retired priests, said that many of us uh, spend time checking our body regularly for lumps and bumps that shouldn't be there uh, because it may well be a sign of something more seriously. We also need to check our spiritual lives for lumps and bumps, which, left unattended, will grow like a cancer. There are many areas of my own life for which I need to make sure I am keeping in line with God. Perhaps because it's this week and most relevant for me have been my finances. In the long term, uh, in my long term past, over sort of 10 or 15 years ago, money was a real concern in our lives, uh, and I spent a lot of time worrying uh, about it, and putting it first would certainly have been something that was true of me. I would put it before God in what I was doing. But the Lord gave me a couple, of my own, a couple of my own sort of large fish moments, which I don't need to go into today particularly, but he was gracious with me in that. And now, generally speaking, I'm pretty good with money. I'm pretty good at knowing that the Lord provides all that I need and not worrying too much about it. That is perhaps perfect timing for this evening until about two days ago. Um, One or two of you may have had the same letter as I did. Um, I got a letter from Bulb, my energy supplier, on uh, Friday evening. Now, Jess and I are very blessed as a vicar to get a free house. It's a very nice house. Uh, My salary is adjusted as a result, but still, uh, we do get a very nice house. Um, I do still pay for my own gas and electricity, as you might expect. Uh, We don't get to choose the house we live in, and the one that we have at the moment is a very nice, large house. Um, uh, It's very lovely. It's also very cold quite a lot of the time. Uh, and our direct debit for our gas and electricity was £180 a month, quite a lot of money um, anyway. On Friday, I got a letter telling me that that was going to £370 a month from the 1st of April. That's nearly £200 a month more. Jess and I have just had a baby. Many of you uh, know that. Uh, she doesn't do any paid work at the moment, although I'd argue that the work she does do with the children is far harder than anything I have to do. Uh, but put simply that is going to be a struggle for us. So what was my first response? I'd love to say my first response was to turn to prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord over what he would have me do next. No, my first response was to panic. Uh, My second response uh, was to look at all of my outgoings and go, right, what can we cut, what can we cut, what can we cut, and try to adjust them, try to control the situation, the situation in the palm of my hand, which was probably more like that than like that. I clasped shut again Uh, on Friday evening that letter came already on Friday evening when we got back from being away I didn't sleep very well and uh, over into Friday evening I was spending time doing all of this online uh, and until about one o'clock on Saturday morning included in our Uh, outgoings is of course our giving here to St Jude's Uh, and giving is part of our discipleship something that the Lord calls all of us to do I believe the Lord calls us to sacrificially give it should hurt but I also hold to the fact that scripture tells us that each of us should give what we've decided to in our hearts to give and do it joyfully not under compulsion for the Lord loves a joyful giver you can tell I read that scripture relatively recently it's not written there. Every year Jess and I in the autumn sit down and ask the Lord how much do you want us to give to the work of St Jude's over the next 12 months. We pray, we discern a figure, we write it down, we pay it. We've done that for many years, we will do that for many years. I'm ashamed to say that in my panic on Friday night, Saturday morning, I wrote to my bank and asked them to reduce my giving because I couldn't see how we could possibly afford to do that anymore. That's despite the fact that I'm convinced that God told me to give a certain amount this autumn. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. He decided to go somewhere else because he didn't think he could trust God. Well, I didn't get on the boat. I didn't even get eaten by a fish, fortunately. But I didn't sleep particularly well after making that decision. And as I prayed on Saturday, it was clear to me that this isn't what God wants me to do. Now let me be really clear, there are seasons of life when the Lord may call us to reduce our giving uh, and there are certainly seasons in life when he calls us to increase our giving but I don't believe that this is one of those occasions, this was me taking control of a situation and doing something that I shouldn't do It's right that we're prudent and good we're stewards with the resources God has given us but there are other things that we have been able to cut, so please don't worry about us too much why do I tell you this? Because my response should have been to pray. It should potentially have been to spend time fasting and asking the Lord what he wanted me to do, ideally with Jess, and do whatever it was he told me to. And now I've done that, I've rewritten to the bank, and I've changed the standing order back again before they had a chance to do anything. Like Jonah... I have, as I say, 10-15 years ago sat in the belly of the fish, metaphorically speaking, and God has done remarkable things with our finances, but yet if I am not careful, I can still be susceptible to this. Joyce Meyer says, and I have often quoted, I am not where I want to be, but I praise God that I am not where I was. We need to put God first in all areas of our lives and be cautious of self-righteous pride thinking, well, I've dealt with that, I don't need to worry about it anymore. Because truthfully, as long as something, anything, whatever it is, is more important to us in our hearts than God, then we are susceptible and fragile, just as Jonah is. If it's not national pride, as it was for Jonah, if it's not money, as it was on this occasion for me, it might be, as I say, our relationships our role or our positions, our health. Everything we have comes from God. And nothing, literally nothing, is more than important than him. I wonder if you will stand with me. Bryn's going to come back and pray for us.